Welcome to the You Can Have It All podcast, brought to you by me, Emma Naylor, Life Purpose Coach and Mentor. This podcast is for ambitious and motivated women who are ready to take the next step in their life, to support them in turning their dreams into reality, to help them and guide them to turn their magic back on, step into their purpose and live their most authentic life. Welcome back to the You Can Have It All podcast. I'm so excited to have this week's guest, which is Georgia Bevan. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Georgia and I met when we were both doing um, a course online with a business coach that we were working with. I instantly loved her story and just resonated with her so much. Basically, where she'd come from, what she's doing in her journey, it was very, very similar to mine. Um, and one big thing that really stood out was the fact that we are both sober. So I wanted to jump on a podcast with her this month. You know, December's one of those really hard months where people do overindulge, they do drink a lot, they do eat a lot, and then they start the new year feeling guilty. And we're here to discuss that, talk about it, and really give you some actionable steps around how you can take action now rather than waiting for the 1st of December. So Georgia, I'd love if you could introduce yourself um, to the audience a little bit more about what you do um, in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. So so I'm Georgia and I am a yoga teacher. Uh, I like to do yoga on and off the mat in my work that I do with private clients um, and, and helping people kind of understand the similarities between Western psychology and Eastern philosophy marrying them together and you get this beautiful mind body and soul work i love that it's really interesting because for me working out has always been to get a certain goal to look a certain way yeah. and actually when we started talking one of the things that you really mentioned that kind of really resonated with me was like doing something just because it feels really good and not just like kind of being attached to the outcome and yeah. really understanding what yoga can actually do internally. Why yoga? Why is it obviously for the obvious reasons that it's amazing for you, it makes you feel good, it's centered, all of that great stuff that we know, but what is it about your journey in yoga? How did you get to a place of I guess, starting yoga, wanting to become a yoga teacher? And why did you really incorporate it into your life? Sure, so so I very first started yoga um, actually as rehab from a, uh, I fractured my pelvis falling off a horse. And I wow. was given six months, six, sorry, six sessions of um, rehab on the NHS, was told, great, you're walking fine. Um, and this is kind of after being in bed for three months, not weight bearing. And they said, if you want to continue, maybe go and do some yoga, maybe go and do some Pilates. So I was like, fine, I'll add that into my weekly routine. And, and I did for a little bit and then it just fell out. <laughs> I was finding yoga classes because of the fitness level. I was, as most people do, I think when they come to yoga is they think I like the way that that person looks. They've got a nice body, they are bendy, they are flexible, they are super toned. And I, I want some of that. People leave with this amazing feeling. Everyone is raving about yoga. So let's go and do normally an Ashtanga class. <laughs> and you work really hard. You get a bit of a sweat. You get all the endorphins pumping. And then you have this Shavasana at the end, this period where some people fall asleep. Once you learn a bit of yoga, you learn 
that it, there's a little bit more to it than that. But you do leave with this euphoric feeling and that becomes addictive. And a lot of people will then start moving into slower practices. So we have this yin, um, a lot of hatha stuff. And, and from that, you might then start learning breathwork and meditation. And you realize that there is so much more than this physical workout to yoga. And I started slowing down my practice actually when I was in rehab um, a couple of years ago. So one of the owners of the treatment center was also a yoga teacher. So she would do morning. So every morning you got up at six and you had an hour of exercise to build that into your daily routine. And so she would take yoga classes and then she was around in the afternoon and I would start doing meditation and breath practice with her. And it just made me feel so good. And it was the first time I think that I was like, this is a coping mechanism that is not harming me. <laughs> it's not harming anybody else. And and I love it. Why why, why did they not teach this in school? <laughs> Which I, I think they do now, but yeah, I, I've forgotten the question, but there's my little rant about why I love <laughs> yoga and how, and how it's part of my daily routine now. I love that. And it's so interesting that you said about the aesthetics, because I think so many of us, go into doing something to get the end result yeah. and actually i was at an event the other week and someone was saying when we go on holiday we don't go on holiday and wish the time away and go oh that that that's done now happy that's over we actually go and we enjoy every single day and we enjoy the new experiences and we enjoy exploring and going to new restaurants and going to the beach and feeling relaxed and enjoying that moment of reading a book we don't wish until the end of the holiday. Yeah. So why do so many of us, including myself, you know, I really have to catch myself out with this. Why do so many of us just look forward to the end result rather than actually living mindfully in the moment and really enjoying what's actually going on in the present yeah. rather than going, well, if I carry on doing this torture for six months, I'm going to look great. Yeah. And once and we remove the outcome, it's a game changer. Yeah, and I think that's partly why I didn't stick to it when I first started yoga, because I wasn't seeing the immediate fitness results. I was still living in active addiction, and, and so if something wasn't fast enough, then I'd be moving on to the next, or I'd be hungover and I'd start missing sessions, and then once it got out of my weekly routine, I just couldn't get back into it. And also, again, like you said, if you're wishing away the hour because you've gone to a really strong, powerful class, or maybe you've gone to a hot yoga class, it's hard to enjoy the moment if you don't know that that's why you're there. So if you are holding a pose that's really strong and someone said count to five breaths, you are counting down those breaths to get to the end of class to find that euphoric feeling at the end. Yeah. Well, sometimes I even catch myself doing it if I don't want to do yoga and I've chosen to do a class because I feel I think I should be kind of pushing myself to burn a little bit of energy. Um, and, I, and I'm wishing myself into Shavasana or the breath work at the end of class. I have to then pause, slow down, remind myself why I'm doing it. And it's good for the body and, and, and everything. Yeah. And yeah, so, so by doing those slower practices, and even if it's like five, 10 minutes a day, you start with that appreciation for five minutes and then you can move on to the next thing. And then you slowly build that up over time. It's interesting what you talk about. There are so many things that resonated there, first of all, but talking about being in active addiction, I remember, oh God, I remember doing a yoga class, really hungover, 
because I thought it would like balance out all the shit <laughs> I thought it would balance out all the drugs and alcohol I'd taken the night before and I thought if I do a yoga class all those drugs and alcohol in my system like don't exist anymore and obviously that's not the case like I know now that that's not the case yeah and when we talk about being in active addiction our physical health unfortunately does deteriorate and just goes so out of the window it's just the last thing we think about and I think what's really interesting is when we talk about active addiction and obviously for some people this may be the first podcast they've listened to about active addiction I used to always think that an addict in active addiction was a homeless person sitting on the side of the street drinking a bottle of wine from a brown paper bag uh-huh. and I, I now look at the two of us sitting here nearly with you know you've got over two years I'm nearly five years sober and we're sat here two adults running our own businesses talking about sobriety I don't think from what we've spoken about you ever ended up on a bench park bench drinking out of a brown paper bag and neither did I yeah and it's what's really interesting is talking about active addiction and talking about how things we let go as soon as we put down the drugs and alcohol yes it was a fucking hideous journey and hard and painful but it's interesting because all of the self-care that we wanted was just so unavailable to us. And as soon as you put down the drugs and alcohol, it's sort of like realizing that actually there are all these amazing things that can make you feel good. And as you said, the coping mechanism is no longer the drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's the things of going, instead of wallowing in my own self-pity and drinking and using drugs, what can I do to get that high? What can I do to get that euphoric feeling to remove me from those situations of feeling anxious and depressed and, and really shitty about myself? Because we still have days where we feel like that just yeah. because you're sober it doesn't mean life doesn't happen on life's terms yeah but it's around having those coping mechanisms and i guess my question to you is over the last two years which by the way congratulations it's an amazing achievement thank you how has your life changed since becoming sober uh exponentially like it's it's so different my life now compared to where I was before I left London before I left for rehab I'm more me now than I think I have ever been like I'm still on a journey I still have a lot of discovering to do but I feel it sounds so wishy-washy but living in my truth (laughs) I, I don't have to um put on a mask that I thought I I had to wear. Like so many times I used to catch myself saying, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And now I do what I want when I want, but not in a throwaway kind of, I'm going to, I'm unhappy where I'm living, so I'm going to move cross country. It's actually, if I'm really honest with myself, I want to live in the countryside and I don't like getting on public transport anymore. So I'm gonna leave London and move somewhere else. Not because, yeah, it's a it's a flippant thing, but really being able to have those honest conversations with yourself or with my therapist at the time helped me have that realization. Um, and I like being on my own. I enjoy being on my own. And I've always liked to have alone time, but again, in, in active addiction, it felt like I should be with people or I, I felt like I should be with people a lot. And I felt like I should be busy all the time. That was a bit of a badge of honor. Whereas now if I can take things out of my day, I will <laughs> just to slow down, you know, enjoy. Today's been 
a little bit back to back and I feel a little guilty that I haven't taken my dog on a really long walk that would have never have happened in active addiction because I would have been purposefully being busy um and I think that's probably because I was avoiding some conversations that I was having with myself um and and you said before now we do have bad days and there are still times when you feel like crap and you just want to not necessarily reach for a drink because it was never like that, but it was finding an escapism that was most likely unhealthy. So it was boys, it was nights out, it was sex, it was drugs. Um, sometimes in that order, sometimes just on their own. <laughs> and, uh, and and I heard this great thing the other day that was saying your well-being or, or your level of well-being is, no, your good a good well level of well-being is how you sit with those internal feelings so even when you are feeling awful you can still sit with that and you can still process it and you still find those good healthy coping mechanisms i love that because i thought that when i got sober everything would just be great and it would be rainbows and unicorns and flowers and everything would be beautiful and yeah don't get me wrong life is incredible after getting sober you know there's nothing like it and you know for anyone that has been on a sober journey and is you know struggling or doesn't think that it's going to get any better it's about really riding it out because the first for me I mean the first few months were hideous they were so painful because I'd basically taken away all of my medicine but hadn't dealt with the root cause so I always say it, you know, it was like the illness came to the surface and was like, no, you need to give me the medicine. And I'd taken it away. And I went very cold turkey in the sense that I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have AA, all of which I have now um, because I realized that I needed that external support. And I think that there's, there's always been a lot of shame around needing help. I think more so now it's available and it's much more available at all price brackets and all time zones and it's available on zoom and i think one of the beauties of the pandemic obviously apart you know there's been absolute hideous you know the last few years have been horrible for so many people but i think one of the really beautiful things that came out is this shifting online mm. the being able to do of the yoga online the coaching the therapy yeah. everything that we've been able to do has just kind of shifted online and I remember when I first started um, going to AA online, I was like, what is this? Why are we on Zoom? And now I absolutely love it because at any given point on any given day, I don't even have to leave the comfort of my own bed if I don't feel up to it. And I can jump on a meeting with other alcoholics and other addicts and have a space that's made for people like me. I feel included. I feel held. I feel safe. And I don't even have to think about it. All I have to do is log on to a Zoom link. Yeah, And it's creating those easy habits for me and understanding where are the available resources and where is the available help for me. And I think with the pandemic, it's really, really opened up our eyes to being able to say, actually, I can just jump on a yoga class on a Sunday night without having to leave my house. I can jump on an AA meeting on a Wednesday lunchtime without leaving my house. Um, I think that's been a really beautiful transition. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And and it means that if you are in a big city, you're not limited by sometimes the quite extortionate prices of beautiful yoga studios or yoga shalas. Or, or you're, if you're in a smaller town, you're not limited to a kind of cold hall 
where you might not necessarily get along with the teacher and but there's only one option in your town you have the vast stream of teachers that are working online with yoga and people are doing stuff where you can lie in bed um, or you just roll out of bed and do yoga in your pajamas it's wonderful I love it <laughs> and it's and it's interesting because both of us both you and I moved out of London I mean obviously I'm still commutable to London you're still commutable to London but I've never felt so connected with more people than when I was living in London in active addiction and I lived in London for another four years after getting sober, three and a half, four years after getting sober. And it was very different. It was a very different experience having grown up in London my whole life, drinking and using, and then suddenly being sober. And moving out here, you know, we're only 25 minutes on the train outside of London, which is great. But I feel I can choose to put myself in situations. I get to choose when I go in and I can hold space for myself and I spend you know, when my fiance goes to work, I spend endless hours at the house, you know, 11, 12 hours sometimes on my own. And you mentioned something about that before. And I used to almost love that alone time because it meant I could drink without anyone judging me. And that's really where I saw that. And as soon as I stopped drinking, I couldn't be alone. I hated being alone. And it was only during the pandemic really that I really started spending so much time on my own and actually loving it and actually embracing it and actually seeing it to my advantage. And it's had a massive shift on going, actually, just because I'm alone at home, it doesn't mean I have to be on the phone to someone or be on a Zoom meeting. I can just sit there and sit with my feelings or read a book or sit with my cat or go on a dog walk or whatever it is and feel content. I don't have to be around a million people to feel valid as a human like I used to. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting this time of year, and I guess I sort of wanted to talk a little bit more about drinking around the Christmas season, because obviously you've had two sober Christmases. So this will be your third sober Christmas. Yep. Wow. I think this will be, I think this will be my fifth or sixth sober Christmas. Yeah. But December for me, oh, it was the best month of the year. (laughs) because you could overindulge in alcohol and parties and this and no one could really judge you well in my mind anyway how did you find I guess your sober Christmases your first sober Christmases is more kind of recent than mine how did you feel kind of celebrating going into your first December a few years ago you know knowing that you were getting sober and sort of staying sober so I went I spent eight weeks in rehab so I did October November in Thailand in the sunshine and it was wonderful total escapism and I did then really struggle when I came back to well I moved back in with my mom for December so what was what has previously in my old life I was working in marketing and hospitality December was always very busy so I came back to dark short days <laughs> in with my mom in the middle of nowhere not really wanting I was still having a lot of mental health issues. Um, I I also have bipolar um, and I was medicated at the time. And I kind of fell back into, I probably spent December, January and February sleeping a lot and, and went back into not full depression, but low, low mood. I wasn't working and I was a little bit, stuck 
I think sometimes I think in in possibly verging on dry drunk um where you're I for those that don't know what dry drunk is can you just sort of explain a little bit about dry drunk where you are you're not actually drinking or doing drugs but you are still feeling all the feelings and looking for unhealthy coping mechanisms so December I spent watching pretty much as much Grey's Anatomy from the beginning as I could because I didn't <laughs> want to do anything. <laughs> um, my family were all really tentative around me. They didn't really know how to be and I found that really weird. And so my, what I did was I, I could just go to my room and I would say, I'm not feeling great and I don't want to have this conversation. Please just be normal around me. Almost imagine that I'm not here. I then, because I was still possibly in this dry drunk period, I don't actually know how that affected them or what their feelings were from that because I didn't ask them. <laughs> I'd yeah. done so much talking in treatment that I just wanted to be with my family when I chose to be with my family. And that was tough considering I was living in my mom's house. <laughs> so it was hard, it was really hard, um, but I did it. My brother wasn't drinking at the time because he wasn't very well and my sister-in-law was pregnant so she then wasn't drinking so that felt like I had people on my side without I, it, my whole family was on my side they were all wanting me to be well and happy mm. and find that kind of peace <laughs> um and yeah it just sort of Christmas just sort of like floated on through it wasn't it was a nice day we ate lots of food I think I went to bed quite early. Um, and then in January, I started going to my local yoga studio and I then went every day in January and that was my one time of leaving the house. <laughs> and that was kind of, that got me through that horrible January period of, yeah, what am I gonna do? And I, yeah, and I wasn't drinking. So every day I was just like, yeah, this is great. Is this, is this all there is? <laughs> oh yes, I know that feeling well. <laughs> yeah. and. and yeah, it was tough, but it was easier than the year before 2018 when I was still drinking and very poorly. So that I just felt awful because I was, yeah, my, I was so low. I'd had a breakdown in the October before that. And yeah, that was bad. <laughs> so it was so, it was brighter in comparison to the year before. Um, and then yeah, I mean, second Christmas was last year in lockdown. So again, very strange, very weird times. So I've kind of luckily, I guess, fallen my, my sober journey and coming out into the real world, socializing again sober has been so slow because we're coming out of the pandemic so slowly. So yeah. Nice. And how are you feeling going into what is potentially the first, I want to say normal, but what is normal anymore? <laughs> yeah. Um, the first kind of normal Christmas where you can go out to restaurants and you can mm -hmm. see friends and there's parties and there's all sorts going on. How do you kind of feel? How have you felt throughout this sort of December month? I have been out a few times um, for dinner, which has been lovely. And I, and I said to myself in treatment, rightly or wrongly, after I've done two years, I'll see where I'm at with the whole sobriety thing. I don't want to say never say never. Again, that's leaning towards the dry drunk side of things and, and they're not fully accepting 
it's a minefield sobriety um yeah. <laughs> now now I feel like I'm really too because I'm mentally I'm, I'm well and I'm off my medication now I'm at a point where I feel like I am actually choosing not to drink I think the first couple of years I had to not drink to get myself well and now I am actively choosing not to drink. I feel so powerful. I feel like I'm fully in control. And that again has totally flipped it. I'm really looking forward to Christmas with all the family and it's a long three day event like it was, well, hopefully if we're allowed to, different family, at, you know, kind of over the three day yeah. period. Um, and, and New Year looks like a two day yoga women's circle, delicious loveliness so um yeah it, again it's very different to my life when I was still drinking but yeah this year I'm really excited and it's so amazing to listen obviously I haven't known you in active addiction but as you know addicts we often are drawn towards each other you know alcoholics and addicts and lots of my really good friends obviously I've met in sobriety and they've become some of my best friends it's really interesting because I've seen them at their best and I've seen them, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, they'll call me crying their eyes out when stuff goes wrong or when they're having shitty days or when they're feeling depressed. Yeah. I've never seen them in active addiction. And it's having those conversations of them when they're, you know, really upset, when they're feeling crappy, being able to say, actually, and I, and I heard this quote of, my worst days clean and sober is still better than any day in active addiction. Yeah. And when I first heard that, I was like, that resonates so much with me. And that's, that's what I, you know, a lot of my friends will always see, they'll call me crying and they'll call me saying how shit things are. But most of them will not say, I feel like drinking. And don't get me wrong, we ha I've had calls from sponsees, from friends in the program who have said, no, I need to drink, I need to drink. Because that's where, as alcoholics, our default goes to, we're not used to dealing with these things. And mm -hmm dealing with things in the first for the first time in recovery grief death breakups you know fights with friends loss of jobs change of covid all of these things the first time we do them as addicts well you know speaking from experience my default is go drink go drink but yeah. actually now when it comes to something like christmas for me it makes no difference whether it's christmas or the 1st of january or the 10th of march because quite yeah. frankly I, every day for me is another sober day god willing you know i'll get to five years in february but i used to always think that december was such a write-off month and yeah. that i could just literally get shit-faced every single night no one could have a go at me no one could criticize me and i used to hang around with people that drank and used like i did especially in december and i remember waking up one christmas um sorry one new year's day and it was about the third of january and that just doesn't happen anymore you know i wake up and it's another day and i get dressed and i go through the day like a like a sober human and i guess it's interesting to watch you know in the in the line of work that we're in and we sort of had this discussion before we jumped on this call on this on this recording was people waiting until january to make change What's your sort of view on that? What's your sort of stance on waiting until January 1st to have the new year, new me sort of vibes? It's, it's tough because it's good to have a date to start yourself, but starting a diet, a new habit, a new routine on the 1st of January or on a Monday, actually you set yourself up for failure because 
you slip back into a normal routine so fast that actually if you shake up what you're doing midweek, you're not, you're almost not mentally prepared for it. So if you spend the whole of January thinking, sorry, if you spend the whole of December thinking, I'm going to absolutely rinse my liver. <laughs> I am going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want because I know January is coming. All you're doing is telling yourself every single day, it's okay that I'm drinking like this. It is okay that I'm eating like this. My habit, my my self-soothing is drinking. Is and, and even if you are mentally saying to yourself, but I will stop in January, that's not the habit that you're learning. And I feel that about weekends so when people live for the weekend and they're saying but Monday I will stop again all you're doing is teaching yourself that on that Saturday and Sunday you're building a negative habit Mm -hmm. and I think one of the best things for myself that I did was go to rehab at the beginning of what I like to or what I used to call silly season (laughs) where (laughs) you know you throw everything out the window all your hard work whether that be working really hard in your job you get really lax you you spent a lot of time in the gym over the summer you stop going um maybe you've been eating really well and you just let it all go silly season happens and it's like (laughs) there's no rules (laughs) so kind of almost starting before everybody else one you'll be at that point of you know three days in maybe a week into a new habit you start to feel like, oh, this is tough and this is hard. And you will already have in place tools and and perhaps support so that when everyone else starts dropping their habits, I think it's January 8th or 9th, is it? (laughs) You will already be past that point. So you are a few steps ahead of everybody else and you are setting yourself up for success. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And the first of January for me used to be like Groundhog Day mm-hmm. in the sense it was kind of like all of the shit that I'd put into my body, the drinking, the junk food, everything. And it would get to first of January and we would all have this list of about 500 New Year's resolutions. And I really, really would love to hear from anyone who has started a New Year's resolution on the first of January and still has done it until the 31st of December, because I don't know anyone who has ever done that. The one promise I've ever made, and it started on a random, well, not a random, it was a Sunday, the 27th of Feb back in 2017 was when I stopped drinking. And it wasn't a Monday. It wasn't a New Year's Day. It wasn't anything exciting. It was, I'd been on a bender for two days and I thought, if I don't take action now, nothing's going to happen. Was it perfect? Was it the first of the month? No, but I didn't have a choice and I just took action and just did it. Now, I'm not saying you have to hit rock bottom and go on a two-day bender and feel suicidal and feel depressed to want to take action, but it's about taking action before you have to. It's never, ever going to be perfect. There's no perfect day to start something, but it's about understanding how can you set yourselves up to make sure that going into 2022 on the 1st of January, like a lot of our clients have who've been working with us for the last kind of 12 weeks or whatever, are going in going, actually, I'm not going in blind. I'm not going in full of guilt, full of shame, feeling really crappy. I'm going in having done a little bit of work on myself. And the fact that we're only at, well, I say only, we're at the 14th of December, there's still time to take some sort of action, even if it's going on 
10 minutes of yoga once a week. You can do that twice before the end of the new year. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's like, um, often people will come to me and they'll say, I wish I started yoga years ago. And there's a great phrase, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. So you yes. start that right now. And actually by putting it off or, or say, I'm going to wait until the 1st of January or I'm going to wait until Monday, it's procrastination. And, and the opposite of procrastination is taking action. So you just have to get that first step in and you're on your way. Yeah, I started with a PT for the first time, well, not for the first time, first time this year, uh, three weeks ago. And usually December for me, again, is a write-off with my food, with my action, I'm tired, I'm going. But I said, actually, Emma, it's just another month. It's another month, take action. So when you start in January, that run that I do, on, I do a run on the 1st of December, I run on uh, 1st of January, sorry. The run that I do on the 1st of January isn't gonna kill me. I'm gonna feel really good and I'm gonna feel set, set up and I'm gonna be able to move forward and not feel like my hips are gonna break or my knees are gonna break or my lungs are gonna collapse. Yeah. So I guess I'd love to hear from you I'm going to put you on the, the spot a little bit here. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you what kind of actionable steps. So this podcast will be coming out, which is what now? Today is the 14th, tomorrow, which will be the 15th. So that's when the podcast will be launching. There's about 16 days left of this year. Wow, that's that's crazy saying that out loud. What would you say are sort of a few actionable steps that people can take to take action this side of the year rather than waiting until the 1st of January to come? So I like to start with <clears throat> having two lists. Um, a list when you've got lots of time, your mental health is really great, really wonderful, and you think, great, I can definitely do an hour of something today. List two is if you are, you know, for example, I know some of my friends that are working agency this side of Christmas, trying to get everything done before the Christmas holidays, finding 15 minutes of their day is all they can find. And that is fine. Or mental, you might be struggling with mental health and you struggle to take lots of action in your day. So you have list A, bigger things, good mood. List B, smaller things, low mood, less time. If you are working with your list A, Take a yoga class, a Pilates class, some sort of fitness class, anything. It could be a slightly faster walk than you normally do for an hour a week. So you've got two of those in before Christmas. Something that raises the heart, something that is a bit of a mood booster. Because if you are still drinking and still partying, all that's doing is actually adding to any anxiety that you might feel. If you are in camp B and you've got list B and you don't have a huge amount of time, taking between five and 15 minutes every morning. So maybe that means you wake up ever so slightly earlier just to sit. And one of the easiest things to do because most people do it is they have a cup of tea in the morning or they have a cup of coffee in the morning. Spend a few minutes going through all the senses. So maybe that is what color is my tea, looking at the patterns of your mug, looking at maybe there's steam coming off. Maybe you can hear the sound of the kettle boiling before you've made your tea or your coffee. Then you think about the smell of everything that you are smelling. 
And then finally you taste, and that could take five minutes. You could draw it out to 15 minutes. That is a really small mindfulness exercise where you are with yourself, you've switched off from the rest of the day, and however you're feeling, it's a great start. So yeah, you could do that once, you could do that twice between now and Christmas, and that's you know, a little bit of exercise, a little bit of mindfulness. I'd go with one of those two things. I love that so much because I think it can be so overwhelming when we start our journey mm-hmm. and we feel like we have to, you know, compared to a lot of people on Instagram and, you know, this is such, this is a whole different, you know, conversation to have, but we see those girls on Instagram with that kind of morning routine where it's like, I get up and I do a run for an hour and then I do Pilates for three hours and then I make this really bougie breakfast <laughs> and I sit in my journal for two hours. And, you know, most people don't have the luxury of that time right now. You know, it is a thing that a lot of people are working towards having more time. You know, we had Sky over today to sort the TV and it was one o'clock in the afternoon, I was reading a book in bed. And I, he probably looked at me and thought, you, you aren't working. But that was my moment that I needed to have some time. And I think there's a lot of people working towards that. But quite frankly, most people can't just quit their jobs and take the afternoon off to read a book. You know, that's something that people have had to work towards. So being able to take those small, actionable steps are so important because it means that the entry, the barrier to entry is so low that anyone of anywhere, anywhere in the world, whatever job they do, can start looking after themselves without feeling like they have to change their whole life around and do a complete 180. 100%. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I love those tips. Well, thank you so much for being so honest. I really hope that whoever's listening to this podcast got a lot from it. Um, Georgia, if people want to find you, where can they find you? either my website www.georgiabevanyoga.com or I'm on Instagram at georgiabevanyoga and I spell bevan like heaven but with a b. <laughs> I love that. I love that that's how you say it bevan with b. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mum taught me that when I was really small. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much. I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week too. Um, And we will see you on next week's podcast. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please head over and leave us a review. Remember to subscribe so you're the first to know about new episodes. Welcome to the You Can Have It All podcast, brought to you by me, Emma Naylor, life purpose and career coach. This podcast is for ambitious and motivated individuals who are ready to take the next step in their life and turn their dreams into their reality, to guide them to live a life of fulfillment within their career, purpose and beyond.